0: Today's scripture reading is from Matthew 6, 9 to 15. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the, Lord, th- this is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Leihua. Lord, we rejoice over your word. We have sung our praises to you, and we stop for a moment and say you are great. You are good. You are mighty. You are awesome. And Lord Jesus, you have revealed God the Father to us in a way that no other person in all of history has done. And so help us this morning to see the glory of God shining through you. And may this, these words that we hear from your mouth about prayer move our hearts. Lord, I ask you, let us as a people be moved in our spirit to enjoy this incredible privilege that you have given us in order to pray to the God of this universe. Without you, Lord Jesus, that is not possible. And so I ask, would you help me now in focusing our thoughts on these words that you spoke so long ago, and let them be as real today as when the day you spoke them. In Christ Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So I wonder, would you consider yourself a praying person? Would you say that you're given to prayer? Does prayer happen in your life in a regular manner? Or do you plan to pray? Or do you just wait and see if it happens? Uh, where does prayer play in your priorities of life? Uh, Jesus focuses our attention on prayer. As If you're with us for the first time, we've been moving through the Sermon on the Mount, and we now find ourselves in chapter 6, and Jesus has spoken these words to his disciples. So we're listening in on Jesus teaching about prayer uh, to his disciples and speaking and teaching in a way that uh, is unheard of because the people heard Jesus speak and, and the response was, if you get all the way to the end of chapter 7, the response of the people is, we've heard no one ever talk like this. Never have we heard anybody talk about God like this. They were astounded at the teaching of Jesus. And so we find ourselves today, interesting, at, the, at what we call the, uh, the Lord's Prayer. This is a, a model prayer, but here we are uh, at the very center of the Sermon on the Mount. And for those of you who who love to do uh, study and research, there's 116 lines before the beginning of this prayer. There's 114 lines in the sermon after. So we're dead center of the prayer of of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So this is the very heart of the prayer that Jesus is teaching on. And so um, we, we started last week considering this together, and we saw Jesus is introducing a principle which is uh, involving a warning. So in the beginning of chapter 6, verse 1, we see Jesus saying, Beware of practicing your righteousness in front of people in order to be seen by them. Don't, don't live out your righteousness in order to impress your peers. But, he says, um, rather, y- you'll lose your reward if you do that. Right? So Jesus is concerned to teach us how to live in such a way that we will have a reward. So last week, he began... Uh, by teaching us how not to pray. And this is the second illustration of how not to live out your righteousness. The first had to do with almsgiving or giving to the poor, those in needy. And he's, he says, don't do that to be showy or to demonstrate to people that you're, you're righteousness. So don't do it that way. And now he's talking about prayer. And we started thinking about how not to pray. We barely got into how to pray, but today we get into it more deeply. And Jesus says, pray like this. So last week, don't pray like this. This week, do pray like this. And this is the principle that we're saying. Jesus is saying, don't pray like the Pharisees who love to impress people, but pray in order to be seen by God and God alone. And then he said, don't pray like the Gentiles, because they like long prayers, and they think God is impressed with long speeches. Don't pray like that. And he said, and don't think that God doesn't know your needs. He actually knows what you need before you even ask. So you don't need to say a lot of stuff in order to get his attention. That's kind of what Jesus was saying. So now we move into this particular prayer, and if you look with me, and, and I hope you have a copy of Scripture Um, sometimes putting scripture on the screen might make you spiritually lazy and think, I don't need to, it's going to be up there. So I don't have to look on my own. I would say, do it. Get your own, download a free copy, esv.org. You can have your own Bible with you at all times or keep one of these things called a book, um, ancient and unheard of, but yet keep your copy of scripture. So uh, chapter six is where we are, but Jesus begins in verse nine and he says, pray then like this. Pray like this. So Jesus is teaching us how to pray. He assumes he has the authority to tell you how to pray. And and a couple of observations here. He both expects prayer, he assumes you're praying. As as his remember, he's speaking to his disciples, and he is saying, pray like this. So not only is he expecting you to pray, he's also commanding you to pray he's commanding his people he's commanding his disciples to pray in a particular way so again we see this hint of the authority of Jesus which is rising up in ways that are unheard of in in the present day of of when he's speaking these words and he says pray like this and then he begins a prayer of of what we all know to be the Lord's prayer and I'm just curious how many of you have memorized the Lord's prayer if you're bold enough to, yeah, that's, that's most of us. Uh, I, every night as a little person, before I went to sleep, my mom or my dad, we knelt down beside my bed and this is what we prayed. And I, I, I knew how to say these words before I ever knew what they meant. And I, <laughs> yeah, Joseph, remember, he knows them too, right? But one thing to notice Um, Jesus is saying here, when when he talks about the prayers of the Gentiles, they heap up meaningless phrases. And my concern is, this is chief among them. This very prayer that the Lord has used as a model for us to pray, perhaps has become so familiar to us that we pray it and we don't even think about it. And Jesus is warning us, don't pray like that. Think about what you're praying. Engage your mind. And so that's what I'm going to strive to do is to force us this morning to think about every word that we say. Because when you pray, you're having a conversation with God. And so don't use mindless repeated quotes from stuff that doesn't have any spiritual relation to you in the conversation. And so he begins by saying, pray like this in verse 9. And then he says, our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. Now, if you remember going back just a, a couple of verses ago, what Jesus has said was, go into your closet and pray and don't pray to impress people. And then what is the first word he uses when he then says, pray like this? It's our which what is what? First person, plural, pronoun, right? So Jesus obviously has a context for corporate prayer. He's saying you're, you're praying together. He's expecting that you're going to be praying together. So he says, Our Father. So this word connotes a communal aspect to prayer. So Jesus is not prohibiting all corporate prayer by saying, you only must go into your closet. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, go into your closet to keep avoiding the temptation from praying to impress the listeners, the people around you. But he's assuming, I think, now that you've got the warning, now you can pray in a small group. Now you, you pray together. And he says, our father. So Jesus had a category For corporate prayer. Our Father. We're together praying. And then the next word, Father. He says, Father, reminds us of the sweet and incredible reality that you and me have the ability of saying to the God of the universe who created every one of the 16 billion, trillion stars that there are, every universe, we can say to the God who formed us and made us intricately woven in our mother's wombs, you can say to him, Father, that is incredible. Incredible privilege that we have. And how many of us take for granted that you can call God Father? How many of us don't think anything about it? We just think, do you know what cost it went that Jesus went to in order to purchase the privilege for you to say to God the Father, Father, to call Him Father? He's not, a, a, this is not an inexpensive word, because Jesus poured out His blood in order to provide the privilege for us to pray to God as Father, because we're not all His children by nature. This world, we are born separated from God. We are outside Eden, all of us, from the very earliest days of our lives. And so we are not, by nature, His children. We we are, by nature, His creatures. But we are not, by nature, His children. I'll never forget, in sophomore year in college, having a discussion with one of my classmates, and and she said to me, you know, we're, we're all the children of God. And I said, you know, yeah, you're right. And went on my way, but something stuck within me. Because as I walked across campus, I, something was unsettling about that interaction. And I thought, actually, we're not all children of God. All of humanity is not by nature the children of God. We are by nature completely separated from God in his, and at enmity with Him. Let me show you one verse where Paul talks about this. Because of sin, right? Why are we separated from God the Father? Why are we separated from our Creator as Father? It is because of sin. Paul said it this way in Ephesians chapter 2. You were dead. And he's talking to Christians. Again, same people to whom Jesus is speaking his Sermon on the Mount. He's talking to believers. He said, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. In which you once walked, meaning how you lived your life, God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, made us alive together with Christ Jesus. By grace you have been saved. We're we're all not children of God. He created us. Every human being God uniquely created. But we don't stand in a familial relationship to God the Father by nature. It takes a supernatural act to bring sinners, people who delight in sin, into a familial, a family, a living relationship with God Almighty. Jesus purchased the right for those who are his children in order to say to God, you are my father. That only happens when God adopts you into his family, which comes by putting your, all of your faith and your trust In Jesus, who then gives the right for him to pour out his spirit within us who are alienated. He he gives his spirit to those who are far off. He calls us to himself and he pours himself into those who say to him, will you save me? Will you forgive me? Will you draw me near? That's called adoption because we're separate from God by nature. And, and Paul says this in Romans 8, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So it is only those who have the Holy Spirit of Jesus living within you who have the right to say to God, you are my father. I, I plead with every one of you listening to my voice, do you know you have the spirit of the living God? Do you have the spirit of Jesus living within you? Because if you don't, you cannot call God father yet. But today can be the day. This can be the day when you say, I know I need the spirit of God. And will you give me your spirit? And Jesus said, if you call upon me, I will save you. Now, I just want you to know, in the course of of unfolding redemptive history, nobody talks like this. Jesus is the first person to, to refer to God as Father. There's a couple of times in the Old Testament that God is referred to as Father, but it is by way of analogy. It's not a direct address. This is absolutely unique because it is only through Jesus that he gives the right for us to be adopted into a family so that you can say to God Almighty, seated on the throne of the universe, Father, what a privilege. Do you know what a privilege that is? It is an incredible gift to be able to call God Father. And I, I received a little, and we're talking about prayer, right? Remember what we're talking about. Don't forget, we're talking about the context of prayer, being able to speak to God as Father. Uh, this weekend, we have some special guests who, who came to our house. Lisa and I, for about 17 or so years, hosted international students. And we had about 70 students from about 16 different countries over the year. And last fall, one of those students contacted me and he said, um, I'm now, my job is in the U.S. And so I'm wondering, can I come and visit Uh, you. Sometime in the spring, uh, I'd love to bring my family. I have a wife and a little girl. He had stayed with us a month back in 2010. And so um, he, he stayed here for a month and went back to Korea to study. And then, and he came back over here and he said, I'd love to come and visit. So he shows up and he and his wife and his little girl, little two and a half year old girl, went with us to life group the other night. And as we were sitting and talking this little two and a half-year-old, beautiful little girl climbs up into my lap and she starts playing with my beard <laughs> and and saying, "Halaboji!" Right? I, I don't know if I'm saying that right, halaboji. Saying that a couple of times, and I obviously I don't speak Korean, so I don't know what she's saying, but she's playing with my beard and hala bo-ji. And and then Charlene tells me, she's calling you grandfather. And at first I thought, I'm not a grandfather, I'm not old enough yet. (laughs) And then suddenly within me was this sweet feeling of being honored. She called me Khadaboji, grandfather. And, And you know, it blessed my soul. And I just thought, how much of a privilege it is for us to be spoken of with terms of endearment for one another indescribably more sweet is the privilege for us to be able to say to God, Father, right? That's, this is prayer. Prayer's like climbing into the lap of God. And I don't think he has a beard, but I, can you just imagine prayer being, I just, I need to sit with you. I, I need to be with you. I need to sit in your presence. And can we talk? Because my life is a mess. That's prayer. Jesus often grabbed little children and, and set them before his disciples and said, If you don't have the faith of a little child, you're not going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. You, you have to come, become like one of them simple, trusting, loving. No matter all of our per- perfection, she didn't complain that I have no hair on my head and that I have that hair on my face. Right? She just sat in my lap and said, Hanaboji. And think of prayer as you climbing into the lap of God and simply being able to say, Father, my Father. What an incredible gift. And then where is he, right? The location come next. So our Father in heaven. What's the purpose of that phrase? Our Father in heaven. I think it reminds us who this Father is. He is sovereign. He is powerful. He is over all. He is above every situation that you think is above you. Every every burden, every question that you think can't be answered, every source of confusion that you wonder how this thing, can God really be true? All of these doubts, all of our challenges, they're all under the sovereignty of God. We pray to God in heaven He is above all. So everything is beneath him. And yet we get to climb into his lap and say, our father in heaven, he is sovereign above all. And then next, he says to us in verse nine, so our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. This word hallowed simply means to make holy or to treat as holy or to reverence. And so Jesus is inviting us to think, first of all, of God the Father and, and he, that He is sovereign. And then He's saying, when you're praying, you pray to that, let your name be hallowed. Let your name, Lord God, be treasured in all of the earth. Let your name be cherished. May all of the earth reverence your name. He reminds us of the power and the wonder and the authority of God. And so let your name be above all. Let prayer be a means by which we exalt like we just did. And it was beautiful to hear all of you singing. Great is our God. Great is the Lord. There's no one greater. And so let your name be proclaimed as the greatest name above every name on this planet. And I, when I got to this point in my preparation, I just paused and think, how desperately we need this prayer to be prayed. For how frequently is the name of God turned into a meaningless throwaway phrase. How often does that happen? I mean, we say this, right? Oh my God, or oh Jesus. And we have no intention to engage with either of them, do we? Right, we type OMG. Are we, is that a prayer? It's it's not, and it struck me as we use God's name and refer to him in ways that are pointless and meaningless and have no interaction with him. And I wondered, what if my kids were to do that to me? If my kids in my house, what if I were to hear, just imagine with me, you're in the Craven's household and and I hear. I'm upstairs and I hear, "Oh my Todd." <laughs> and I run downstairs for, "What's ha- what? What's happened?" And Alex is standing there uh, what do you mean? Nothing. I just dropped some books. Well, hey, did you want some help? Do I need you? No, I, I, well, I wasn't talking to you. Well, you called my name. I, I just, but I didn't mean it. What would I do after the sixth time of, oh my Todd, I, I wouldn't go to help anymore, would I? I just, it's a pointless word that doesn't actually want a personal interaction. And it struck me of, why do we do that? I, I know it's a phrase that probably 80% of you actually use and you don't think about it. And I want to invite you to think about it. I want God is not his name technically but it represents his character so it definitely relates to who he is. And I want to invite you, stop typing OMG and type OMT. Just, Use my name as a meaningless, (laughs) pointless phrase. Because I would much rather you abuse my name than God's name. Seriously, I I want you to think about that. Because if we are to hallow his name, may we always avoid making his name hollow and insignificant. And then Jesus says, your kingdom come." this is the second petition, your kingdom come. Pray that your kingdom come. So when you're praying, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. What is he saying? Jesus is communicating an astounding fact that the kingdom, our kingdom, is very different from God's kingdom. There's an entirely different kingdom at play in a reality we don't physically see but nonetheless is absolutely real and so your kingdom come because the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man are not the same they were forever separated at the beginning of of the fall what Adam and Eve decided to abandon the the counsel of God and do their own thing and then two kingdoms began there was one in the beginning there was a sense of communion with God in the garden. Wouldn't you love to go for a walk with God in the cool of the evening like they were able to do? And yet, we sinned, Adam and Eve sinned, and forever we were separated, kicked out of his presence. There, two kingdoms were born that day. Two entirely different worldviews. And yet, we know that God from that very moment began unfolding a plan of redemption to bring those two kingdoms back together. This is the goal of history. We are headed to a day when God the Father will one day bring those two kingdoms back together so that there's no longer any separation between us and Him. That is what we were created to enjoy. That is the movement of history, and one day we'll get there. And here's a little picture of it in Revelation, the last book of the Bible. John says this, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. We just sang it. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. There it is. The dwelling place of God is with man and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death will be no more. Neither will there be mourning nor crying nor pain and all the things of the past are gone. The former things are passed away. I'm, I'm ready for that day. Amen? Ready for tears to be wiped away? Ready for mourning? Ready for sorrow? Let it all be done. That's where we're headed. Because of the mercy and grace of God, who said, even though they have rebelled against me, I will redeem them. Again, we are reminded at great cost to himself. By giving his only son. Those two kingdoms cannot come together except through the blood of Jesus Christ. The the fellowship and communion of God Almighty as Father cannot have the relationship with sinful people except through the blood of Jesus who purges us and unites us and so those two kingdoms can come together and Jesus is here saying implicitly the kingdom of God is far better than the kingdom of man when you pray is that your deep conviction that the will of God is much better than your own will do you come to prayer thinking, Lord, let your, your will, your kingdom come into me. Let your kingdom rest in me. Let your kingdom principles rule over me. That's what Jesus is inviting us to think like when we pray. So your kingdom come. And then verse 10, your will be done. And if you're looking at the clock and you're thinking, man, we got a lot of words to go and we're only here. I, I'm just going to push pause after this. I think we're going to divide this into to two weeks to consider this, so don't freak out. So, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How is God's will done in heaven? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right, when the kingdom of God truly comes, the effect is a change of will. When we become recipients of the Holy Spirit, what he does is give us a new heart, a new will. And so Jesus here brings us to the very point of of deepest contention. In prayer, typically, don't we come to prayer wanting to assert our will? That's, That's really what we're, most of us, when we're praying, what we're doing, God, here's what I want, and I just, I want you to do this. I need you to conform to my will, right? Isn't that how we pray? That's I, I, Every one of you, I know that's what you're wanting. Here's what I want, and so I want you to do it. The will needs to be changed here. Jesus is saying, your will be done. And Jesus is the one who modeled this most clearly in the Garden of Gethsemane. If you remember the final hours of Jesus' life before he went and was arrested and crucified. He went into the garden of Gethsemane to pray. Do you remember what he prayed? I mean, let me just read for you. Matthew 26, 39. Going a little further into the garden, he fell on his face and he prayed saying, what does he say? Isn't that sweet? My father. Right? I'm teaching you how to pray and say our father. But now this is between him and God the father. And he says, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. You know, I used to think that prayer was, I I used to think that prayer was how I got God to do what I wanted him to do. And then I wonder why my prayers don't get answered. You ever wonder that? Actually, I think prayer is the place where we enter into the space with God and our will gets conformed to his will. Prayer is the place where we, we come praying our will. Jesus did that. He said, this is what I wish would happen. I want this to happen, but I, I don't want that more than I want for your will to be done. So, Father, help me conform my will to yours. That's what, I think that's what prayer is. It is a place where we become convinced of what God wants us to do, and in the communion with Him, He supplies us with the, the resources, the fullness of His Spirit in order to do what He's then called us to do. So we commune with the Lord. We enter into that place of being filled up with Him so that in the moment we realize what God wants me to do is hard, but yet I've been with Him so I have it now within me because of His Spirit, because of communion with Him to go and do what He wants me to do. Now, that's one aspect of difficult prayer. And here Jesus gives us that model of prayer is us surrendering our will to the will of God the Father. Prayer is not a place where we convince God that our will is best, but rather a place where we become convinced that his will is best. And so we see, Father, let your will be done. And as a close, what is the will of God? Uh, a massive topic but one answer is as given for us by Jesus in John chapter 6 verse 38 and 40. I want to read this to you. For this is the words of Jesus. I have come down from heaven not to do my own will but the will of him who sent me. For this is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. That's the will of God. The will of God for every one of you in this room is for you to look to Jesus as the source of eternal life. That is the will of God the Father through Jesus His Son saying, my will for you is that you look to me for salvation and for eternal life and for forgiveness and for redemption and for the privilege of being able to say, you're my Father. That's God's will and so uh, is that true for you? Have you looked to Jesus in this way? Because there's a promise. Jesus says, if you do that, if you look to me for salvation, I will raise you up on the last day. If you want to be standing at the final judgment, make sure you're trusting in the Lord Jesus. Make sure that his spirit is within you. So to summarize, when you pray, pray like this, Jesus says, And I would invite you, make a plan to pray. Give yourself intentional room in your schedule to pray. And I I know we're all busy, but if you can binge watch 14 series on Netflix, you can find time to pray. Every one of us can make time in our lives to pray. Our Father, I want to encourage you to pray with other people. Jesus says here, pray our Father. Now, and we know he's not excluding praying in groups because he says our. Pray with somebody in your life. I I want you to try it. I I, I encourage you. Husband, wife, pray together. I don't care. Maybe you have to FaceTime each other. I know some of you, your schedules are crazy. FaceTime at lunch with your wife and pray. Make an appointment with someone who's near to you and pray our Father. Father. Pray together with someone. And Father, what an amazing privilege. And do you know that privilege of being able to call God Father? If you don't, don't leave here today without speaking with someone. There's going to be two prayer stations. We would be happy to pray with you in order to ensure, can I call God my Father? If that's a question in your mind, don't leave today without settling that question. In heaven, Our Father in heaven, He's he's got everything under control. You need to trust in Him. He's sovereign over it all. I know you all think this world is falling apart. It is terrible, and yet He's in control. His ways we sometimes don't understand, but I'm trusting, (laughs) I'm banking my soul on the fact He's in command. Hallowed be His name. Make God's name this week hallowed in your speech and in your text messages. Don't make it hollow. Hallow his name. Respect his name. Let his kingdom come. Pray it. God, let your principles govern my life. Let your rules settle into my soul. Let me delight to do your will. And then may my will be completely undone while yours is, is done in and through my life. Let my will, not my will, but yours be done. Begin to pray those things. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we come to you. We come to you in the name of Jesus. Seated at your right hand and only through his name any of us have any right to approach You. And Father, we ask, let Your will be done in our lives. Let each one of us keep our eyes on Your Son. May we see Your glory, God the Father, through a a Son who was born in Bethlehem and raised in Nazareth and lived a holy life, died an atoning death was buried and on the third day rose again. Father, let us keep our eyes on your son. And Lord Jesus, give us your spirit in full measure. Lord, pour out your spirit on us so that we can be adopted into your family. Those in this room who are not yet believers, let this moment right now be that time when they cry out to you and say, would you bring me into your family? Would you give me your spirit? Change my heart, change my will, and save me. And Lord Jesus, your words come to me, and if anyone would come to me, I will never cast them out. Lord, let many who don't yet know you come right now. Let them come with full surrender to your will in glad submission to your good ways. And Jesus, let all of us who have been walking with you for a long time, evermore, delightfully surrender our will to yours let your will be lived out through our lives father bless your children this week at work and at home may we love to follow your your word and to abide in your word and may we sense your presence and lord i there's some people who struggle to even understand what is the purpose of prayer, and I pray that this week would be a week where they begin to practice praying and view it as climbing up into your lap and spending time with you, just communing with you, and pouring out your heart. Father, we need you, so give us hearts that yearn for you, and I pray that you would be gracious to us and merciful and pour out your will upon us, because we, we praise you, Lord Jesus, for making it possible for us to be your children. And thank you for adopting us. So let us worship you as as children who love you. In Christ Jesus' name I pray. Amen.